WXDX-FM, Pittsburgh. There's a couple of hockey sob stories making the rounds. Nick Boynton is a retired goon, and he wrote a story for the Players' Tribune website talking about his depression and head trauma and all the other goons who died. Daniel Carcillo was a dirty little hack, and he's pushing the same narrative. He did a video for the Players' Tribune. I have no doubt these guys are suffering, and they're saying hockey is a dangerous game and the truth needs to be told, and they're right about that. Every headshot should be penalized, intentional or not. Fighting should be banned from the game. But hockey is a dangerous game because of players like Boynton and Carcillo. Not because of Crosby and Ovechkin, but because of goons and hacks. And yes, because of the mentality that promulgates the presence of such nitwits, but, but they are the instruments, they are the carriers, they are a major cause of brain damage in hockey. So I have zero sympathy for Boynton and Carcillo or for players like them. And I don't care what becomes of them. They lacked talent. There was only one way they could get in the NHL. They chose that way. It's a way that damaged themselves and others. I feel bad for the others. I don't feel bad for Boynton and Carcillo. They are reaping what they sowed. Tom Wilson? You're next. Sick Again brought to you by 84 Lumber. Helping you build the right way since 1956. Well, what do you think of, of this? That Why would I feel sorry for Boynton and Carcillo? All the damage they did, all the punishment they handed out, the headshots... I don't feel sorry for those guys even a little bit. And if the game was made safe in the ways that Boynton and Carcillo seem to desire now, they would not have spent one moment in the league. It's a Faustian bargain to be sure. When you go into hockey as a goon or as a hack and you deal out damage and inevitably you absorb it. But instead of hearing about the dangers of head trauma from Nick Boynton and Daniel Carcillo, wouldn't it be better if we heard about it from Pat LaFontaine or Paul Correa or Mark Savard or even Sidney Crosby at some point? I'm talking about skilled players who, in the case of Crosby, had his career severely derailed for a significant amount of time. Or from Savard, LaFontaine, and Correa... Three very good players who had their careers shortened by head trauma, by headshots. I mean, this reminds me of, of, of Matt Cook taking Savard's head off. We all remember that. And it ended Savard's career. Not right then and there, but that was the trickle down. And what if Matt Cook now is the guy speaking out like Daniel Carcillo? Because the two were very similar players. I just don't buy these two guys whining. It's self-serving. And they're not looking out for hockey. If they would have been looking out for hockey, they never would have played the way they did. 
Of course, at some point, there will be a big lawsuit that will put responsibility on hockey. And hockey is, is making a grave error in judgment by not banning all headshots and by not banning fighting. That is, sad to say, after all these years, the Canadian influence, the tough guy Canadian influence. And it's going to cost the NHL some money, just like it cost the NFL a lot of money uh, to the old-time players with head trauma. And to not even acknowledge the connection between hockey and brain trauma, which Bettman will not do, well, it's absolutely foolhardy. This is a good message. It just needs a better messenger. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Uh, we got Josh Joey at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk a lot about the hockey offseason. going to be hockey talk. Throughout the offseason, you're on the home of the Penguins, 105.9, the X. Uh, another thing about Carcillo and Boynton. I don't understand why we have to hear about everybody else's problems. I deal with my own problems. You deal with yours. Every time I turn on the TV, and if I sound like a broken record, it's because no one will flip the record over. I turn on the TV, I turn on ESPN, everything's a sob story. Oh, this guy has a sick kid. This guy lost a leg. Yada, yada, yada. When my mother got her terminal illness, you know what I did? I took care of her for three years. I didn't call in a camera crew. I didn't talk about how terrible life had been. I just got on with it and didn't burden other people with it. So, you know, F Nick Boynton, F Daniel Carcillo. I don't care. If they could play, I'd care. If they were victims, I'd care. They're not victims. Not in any sense of the word are those two victims. 412-333-9939, the number to call. Let's update you on the U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. Uh, Tiger Woods, after eight holes, is plus three, which means he's even par after the triple bogey on the first hole. Uh, the current leaders are Johnson, Duffner, Piercy, and Polder. Piercy and Polder already off the course. That is Stephen Piercy, the singer from Rat. Uh, quite amazing the impact he's made in in this his rookie year of professional golf. Oh, Dustin Johnson now at minus two after eight. Is this Tiger teeing off? It must be. The gallery is huge. I wish the World Cup was playing right now. I watched a lot of that Saudi-Russia game earlier today. Russia wins 5-0. But both teams were just rotten. That, that, that is how you get interest going, though. I, I get it. You take the host team and the weakest team in their group and throw them in a big pack stadium like today at Moscow. Everybody watching on TV, if you're lucky, the host team wins, and that keeps interest alive for the tournament through the country, at least through the group stage. Although, it's being assumed that Russia will beat one of either Uruguay or Egypt, probably Egypt, to make it to the knockout phase. I don't know. I don't know if Russia's going to beat Luis Suarez with Uruguay. I don't know if Russia's going to beat Mohamed Salah 
from Egypt, although it's not clear when, if at all, Salah will be ready to play in the World Cup. Let's go to Justin on the south side. Justin, you're on with Mark. Hey, Mark, big fan. Right. Hey, I, you were talking about, you know, the correct spokesman for the NA, for players and, you know, head injuries. And something, I mean, have you listened to any Paul Correa's interviews after his career, talking about, you know, the headshot mainly from Scott Stevens in the uh, Stanley Cup that one year? And oh, just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've heard it, but, but he's not putting himself out front. Like, well, there was no Players' Tribune. You know, and not as much national media, social media, all that crap when when he made those statements. But I wish he would do it more. Because, again, well, this is a good message. They just need a better messenger. Sure. I, I totally agree. Just I mean, let me you ask thought. you, as a hockey fan, Justin, do you feel any yeah. sympathy for, for Boynton or, or Carcillo? You know, I didn't before, but, you know, I'll tell you what. The league has created this this role where there's guys where, you know, if they aren't doing this stuff, they're going to be selling insurance somewhere. So it's a way for them to keep earning a paycheck, and they allow it to happen. You know, so I do actually have some more sympathy, I think, than I used to for them because I realize, especially in the minors, that's how they're keeping the food on the Well, I, I read, yeah, but, but then get a different job. Not everybody plays pro hockey. But it's a good job. If you go oh, in the minors, the I don't job. know about that. I make more money than just about any minor league hockey player. I can tell you that. And, and I read Nick Boynton saying, "You can't imagine the pressure, knowing you might have to fight every night. It's sure. unbearable." Well, then don't do it. You're not a real hockey player anyway. The game won't miss you. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I would. Love These to guys are acting like they're real hockey players. Carcello and Boynton weren't real hockey players. They were not real hockey players. Let's go to Grant and Wexford. Grant, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. I was wondering what your opinion of is why some of these younger players are getting CTE when somebody like a Ted Lindsay, who's alive and he's in his 90s, a Milt Schmidt lived to be 99, Gordie Howe 88. Well, they might have had CTE. But they're not. They don't have CTE. They're fine. How do you know? Well, okay, well, they're not. I don't know. They just don't have dementia. Actually, so. Gordy did. Okay, well, that was the genetic more. But how, okay. how do you know? Did, about, you, did you examine his brain? Yes, Murray uh, Howe and I examined it. it. Now, well, see, now you're just being a smart ass when you ran out of facts. Anything else, ass face? Yes. What about the French connection? The one guy who died a couple years ago. He had CTE, and he wasn't a. He was a finesse player. But even the finesse players are getting CTE. Okay, so now are you trying to? draw a connection away from hockey and CT and saying it's coincidence. I'll call you right back, Mr. Batman. Thank you. What an idiot. Uh, but as far as those guys perhaps not having sustained the same brain trauma back then, I mean, they, they didn't have helmets and the game was rougher, but it wasn't played at nearly the speed it is now, and the athletes weren't nearly as big as they are now. And they played less games. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. We've got Tom Cat on hold. We'll get them in just a moment. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're kidding me. That's ridiculous. You know what? I'm going to skip right to my original thought and just say, this is stupid. You're stupid. Thanks for calling. The X at 105.9. we got Josh Owey at the bottom of the hour. That's about... 
12 or 13 minutes away. Right now we want to talk to you, 412-333-WXDX. An interesting talk with Bob Labriola of Steelers.com earlier. Uh, I was interested in hearing him say the Steelers don't play free safety and strong safety. They play left and right, and they expect that each safety will perform relatively the same duties and be able to, you know, uh, cover, go in the box, whatever. I can't help but wonder if Mike Mitchell deterred that way of thinking because he was so useless. I mean, really, he was a tackler. He didn't, unbelievable stat. Mike Mitchell didn't defend one pass last year. He was a regular safety and didn't defend one pass. I mean, I understand that that sometimes, you know, those guys are just helping out in coverage or they do drop down in the box and play like a de facto linebacker and they don't defend many passes. But to not defend one, wow, I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. Uh, Keith Butler talked about working more on tackling in training camp and labs, kind of straightened that out because I said, boy, what about the risk? And he'd go, well, the... Young players will tackle the young players, which indicates the veterans won't be too involved with the contact, but what are the veterans can't tackle either? Because when I watched Leonard Fournette turn the Steeler defense into roadkill in that playoff game, and again earlier during the regular season, it wasn't just young guys missing the tackles. In particular, Vince Williams got made to look like roadkill. I think he can use all the tackling practice he can get. I also still kind of wondered about Dupree and Watt flipping sides. Dupree going to the side where he'll be on the quarterback's blind side. Watt going to the side well where it's a more versatile job on the other side. I mean, I can see why they're doing it. It just bothers me when the guy who failed, Dupree, is getting help at the expense of the guy who didn't in Watt. But then again, going to that left side, Watt will be able to that much more exploit his versatility. And as has been mentioned, there's going to be a lot of times when Watt and Dupree line up on the same side and they overload on the rush. I think giving Watt more duty, more versatile duty, and giving Dupree the simplest job, will serve the team well, but the big adjustment is going to be Watts. There's no question about that. He's a real good player, real smart player. I think he'll be able to do it. Pirates won yesterday. They're off today. They're at home against Cincinnati tomorrow in the U.S. Open at last look. Tiger was plus four after eight holes. Dustin Johnson was the leader after holding out out of a sand trap at minus two after eight holes. The whole focus of the TV coverage is Tiger. Now, he is in a group with Dustin Johnson, so you're going to cover that group. But boy, golf wonders why it struggles when Tiger's out. It's because they haven't created any other stars. And they're not even giving themselves a chance when you cover the guy who finishes like 20th in the tournament at the expense of the guy who finishes first or second or third or whatever all the way down to 19th. It makes sense for right now. No question. It doesn't make sense for the long run. 
and never has. Let's talk to Tomcat in Mount Lebanon. Tomcat, you're on with Double M. Hi, Mark. The uh, Thank you for saying what you said about not really giving a darn about the players post, uh, post-career. I-, I feel the same way as you do, and I think most sports fans would agree with you and I that these play- nobody's putting a gun to Nick Boynton or even Sidney Crosby's head and making them play hockey. Well, no, no, okay, I think you're oversimplifying, though. Uh, I think the game should be made safer. I think headshots should be outlawed. Everyone should be penalized, whether it's intentional or not. You need to take intent out of that equation. Otherwise, excuses will always be made on behalf of the guy not getting suspended, especially with a goon running the Department of Player Safety, George Parrish, that imbecile. Uh, okay, I, I, and uh, let me finish. Forgot, goodbye. Goodbye now. Quit interrupting. Be polite. I don't have to be polite. My name is on the show and not yours. I want to make the game safer in that regard. I want to ban fighting. Nick Boynton talked about all the trauma he suffered fighting. Well, ban fighting. Now then, Nick, you might not play in the league for even a day, but, you know, make the game safer. And... As far as knowing what you're in for when you sign up to play, of course you do. Everyone does. In every sport, at every age, every level. But that doesn't mean you don't make it safer. I'm not saying, like, what that guy was trying to, he was trying to put words in my mouth, like, hey, you know, if you get hurt, it's a tough game. Screw you. No, let's make it safer. Let's have everybody understand the danger and then minimize the danger. Because hockey's not nearly as safe as it could be or should be. Up next, from TheAthletic.com, we're going to talk more hockey with Josh Owey here on 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. A lot of funny stuff has no taste, like, for example, this show. I just wanted to say how funny that was. Now I'm going to cut you off before you can make a joke. The X at 105.9. There's a quote from Mike Tomlin in an interview where he's just a dink. I'm sorry, Mike Tomlin's a douche. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Right now... From TheAthletic.com, it's time to keep talking hockey with Josh Yowie. Josh, you're live in Atlantic City. Have you been in Chef Vola's this trip? Uh, Mark, I ate at Chef Vola's last night. It was absolutely spectacular, as always. The best Italian restaurant in the world. Now, here's the latest Penguins rumor. That Jim Rutherford would like to trade way up in the draft and pick a player that could make the Penguins this year. Have you heard anything in that regard? Uh, no, I have not. Um, I do think Jim wants to make the Penguins younger. And when I say that, I don't mean that he's interested in some kind of building project, but that he just thinks some, some new blood would be a good thing for this current group. And I don't think he's against moving up if there's a player they really like who's there. But I don't think that's the mindset going into Dallas next week and, hey, we got to move up. So it's just... It's just not how the, the Penguins are programmed to operate right now, and probably nor should it be. Well, yeah, I agree that they could use youth, but but not that they need an influx of talent. I think they need right. an influx of energy. And I think Jim looks back at how, you know, Sherry and Gensel those guys coming up helped the team on so many levels in 16 and 17. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that was one of the big problems this season. They could have used that from... Daniel Sprong or whoever else, but um, 
things were running a little dry in, in the prospect stream for the Penguins. And when you go back two years ago, Mark, you're right. You had Sherry and Murray and, and Kunakle and Rust all in the same class. Then you had Jake Gensel, of course, the incredible impact he made the next year. And, and this year they really didn't get that. And it's the Penguins' age. And remember, next season, Sid will be 31, Gino will be 32, Kessel will be 31. Um, they're not over the hill or anything. But the older they get, the further they get into their 30s, they will need some help from uh, new waves of players who aren't making a lot of money. So I really do believe that's Jim's goal to add a forward or two, especially who are in their 20s, who are hungry, who can, who can give the Penguins more energy moving forward. Now, we haven't spoken since Washington won the Stanley Cup and did so in five games. The result, them winning, Josh, that wasn't shocking. I think the brevity of the series was. Yeah, I, I agree. I was surprised just how much better the Capitals were than Vegas. I, I was not expecting that, given the way Vegas steamrolled through the Western Conference. Now, it could be that the East was just a lot better than the West, and I do think we can agree the Metropolitan Division has been the best in hockey for three or four years now. I don't think there's any question about that. It's no surprise that the Stanley Cup winner has come the last three years from that division. Um, so I, I think we saw that in the final but I also think we just saw a Washington team, much like the Penguins in the last two years, that simply played its very best hockey in May and June. And, and that's what you have to do to win it. And they were just flawless in the final, really. I, they were just a very, very difficult team to beat. Where does Washington go from here? It seems simple to me, Josh. If they don't retain John Carlson, the number one defenseman, who's going to be a free agent, if they don't keep him, they have zero chance of a repeat. I think it's that simple. No, I agree, and it's going to be interesting if he stays. Uh, they don't have a ton of salary space. They do have enough to keep him, but if they give him what he wants, and I've seen some projections that think he's going to get close to $8 million a year on the open market. Um, if they give him that, it'll be hard to keep the core of the team together for much longer. T.J. Oshie makes a ton of money. Obviously, Ovechkin and Backstrom do as well. So I'm interested. But that said, if I'm the Capitals, I go for it. Much like the Penguins, for the next couple of years, they have a window. And there are not many number one defensemen out there. John Carlson's one of them. He's a great player. And he just keeps getting better and better. He, other than Ovechkin, he's the guy to me that makes that power play go. He's so important for them. So they're going to try to keep him. I suspect he can get more money elsewhere, but that's a very important guy because the rest of their blue line, it's not bad. But, boy, there's no real standout, but he's the guy for them. Now, where does Vegas go from here? I bet they have trouble making the playoffs next year, Josh, because – the guys who all had career years this year won't do it again next year, but all bets are off if they get John Carlson or Eric Carlson, and it seems likely they might be able to pull in a guy like that given their cap space. They've got a ton of cap space. I think it's more than $20 million. Um, You're right. What made them special and unique this season won't be as evident moving forward. They're not going to surprise anyone in the future. Uh, if they're going to win in the future, it needs to be strictly on the, the talent on their roster. That said, um, they still have an adequate amount. And if they get one of the two defensemen you mentioned, that can really change things. And, you know, you're going to hear all the names, whether it be John Tavares or Eric Carlson or John Carlson. And because they have the money to spend, it could happen. And I'm interested, Mark, to see just what kind of a destination Vegas is for NHL players. I have to think it's pretty appealing. It's a great city. It's a fun city. It's a very good hockey team, and it's turned into, very suddenly, a good hockey town. So there is, I think, a lot of intrigue there if you're a free agent. Uh, Josh, the Players' Tribune website had a couple, uh, well, one story and one video, respectively, from Nick Boynton and Daniel Carcillo talking about the 
reality of head trauma in the NHL. I agree with the message. I think the cause need better messengers. Those guys did more damage than they received. Yeah, it is kind of ironic. It's kind of like when you look at the Department of Player Safety and people like Chris Pronger were in charge of, you know, dishing out penalties or, you know, whatever. George Paros. Yeah, I mean, it, it never stops. Maybe Paul Correa should be in charge or somebody whose career was ended because of Or, or maybe Paul Correa should be the guy writing the story for the Players' Tribune. Honest to God, yes, I agree. I mean, I appreciate the message they're trying to send. And I do think into the future this is going to be a huge problem for the National Hockey League. This isn't a problem that's going away. There are players who have had major issues because of brain injuries. And I'm sure there's an argument to be made that the NHL never did a whole lot to protect them. I don't think there's any doubt in that. So it is an issue, but I would like to see some other guys come forward, maybe guys who weren't uh, predators on the ice. I think that would uh, go a long way for the cause, no question. We're talking to Josh Oey of TheAthletic.com. He's brought to you by the Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. Uh, Jonathan Bomboli said in a story in the Trib that the Penguins have a glut at left wing. I agree they have a lot. They just don't have many top six left wings. I think it's Gensel and that's it. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, they certainly have uh, an overwhelming amount of talent on the right side. And the left side, you know, it's so funny with Carl Hagelin. He's never going to score much, but he is an effective player. He has one year left on his contract. They're certainly not going to bring him back to what he's making now. He's most effective, though, Josh, as a third-line left wing, very specifically. And he does it very well, a lot like Bob Airy, if I may date myself a little bit. That's who he reminds me of, a guy who handles all the defensive work and whose speed can really make an impact. He's just not going to score a lot of goals. And frankly, he doesn't play very well in the first half of the season, which is an issue. Um, but yeah, the, the real question, I guess, is what kind of an impact is Zach Aston Reese going to make moving forward? And I like him. I think he's going to be a dependable bottom six style player. I don't know that he's more than that. I'm not saying he's not. It was just such of a small sample size that it's hard to say what his ceiling is. He's clearly an NHL player. If he can be a legit third line left wing for the Penguins banging 15 goals, something like that, then they're perfectly fine on the left side. But as, as things currently stand, they have a lot of guys there who, who are okay but who don't score much, which could be an issue for a team that wins games on account of its ability to score. If Rutherford wants to make a big deal, I could see Rust or Mata being traded because each is movable. Not that you're looking to get rid of them. They're both valuable components, but they're movable. What say you? Yeah, Rust in particular, if you're of the mindset that Kessel probably won't be traded, Obviously, Hornquist is not going anywhere, and they've been pretty adamant that Daniel Sprong is going to be on the roster starting next season, and if he is, he's going to be in a top-nine role minimum. So all of a sudden, that leaves you with Brian Rust either playing out of position on the left side, which he can do, but he's not as good on the left side, or he's playing on a fourth line, and that gives you a hell of a fourth line, theoretically, but I don't know if you really want him on your fourth line. I think he's probably too good for that kind of a role, honestly. So, yeah, I think he's a guy that makes sense to some extent. Don't know what his uh, market would be in a trade, but there are a lot of guys who Jim's not afraid to dangle out there for the right return, and Russ in particular, I think, is one of them. Well, Russ is a restricted free agent, as are Shane, Alexiak, Simone, and Kuhnhockel. Who stays and who goes? Well, I think the majority stay. Um, that's just the way it is with restricted free agents. Uh, Shane's interesting. They like him. They just like him as a fourth-line center more than anything else. I think, And I think he proved he's a very good fourth-line center, but I don't know that he's necessarily more than that. 
but he will certainly stay. And the one guy you mentioned that I should make note of is Jamie Alexiak. They really like him, Mark. And if you are going to trade one of your top to four defensemen at some point in the next couple of years, I'm not saying they will, but it's possible. They, they could do so because they really think he has the ability to be a top four guy. And you could see why. He played very well for the Penguins this season, and there is a sense that there's a lot more that he has to offer. And the more he works with Jacques Martin and Sergei Gonchar, he's still a young guy, you might really have something in him. So I promise you they won't let him get away. They seem to like Dominic Simone a lot more than I do. Uh, I just don't see him as a top six, and that's usually where he plays when he plays. Yeah, I mean, not to be critical of the kid, but he strikes me as a top liner in Wilkes-Barre and probably not a whole lot else. Uh, he was not horrible in the regular season. He had a couple of stretches with Sid where he played well. But, you know, people are going to produce when they're playing with the best player in the world. That's just the way it is. And he was really, really bad in the playoffs. Uh, I was not impressed with him at all. I suspect he's one of those guys who's really coachable, so maybe the coaching staff likes him. But I just don't see a whole lot of talent. And for a team that's based on skill and speed, uh, frankly, he doesn't bring a whole lot of either to the table. So I, I, I'm much in the same boat as you on that one. Let's talk about a couple of the free agents, because uh, it's going to be a scramble when July 1st hits. Uh, is there any chance John Tavares stays with the New York Islanders, Josh? I mean, why would he? Yet I keep hearing whispers that he might. Yeah, I hear those whispers, too. Uh, yeah, I don't know Tavares particularly well, but those I do know who know him well insist that he's just an incredibly loyal guy, and he really does feel a sense of loyalty to that organization. I'm not sure why. It's one of the worst-run organizations in hockey, quite frankly, and if I were him, I would be running through the exits. Um, I think there's a chance he stays, but when July 1st comes, I have to think he signs elsewhere. There's a lot of good teams that are going to be throwing massive amounts of money at him. So my guess is he leaves, but certainly it will be interesting to monitor. I think the Maple Leafs screwed up, Josh. They didn't need Patrick Marlowe then, and because they signed him, they can't afford John Tavares now. I completely agree, and they were doing so well with the rebuilding project. And I know Marlowe had a nice year. I think he scored 20-plus goals like he always does. But they still didn't win a playoff series. And I think maybe they lost sight of the big picture, which has been a real problem for them in the past. And you're right. He, John Tavares is from the Toronto area. Uh, there's always an appeal to playing at home, even though Toronto is a market unlike any other. I think some people maybe don't like playing there. Maybe he would, though. And, boy, can you imagine that team if you have Austin Matthews and John Tavares as your top two centers? Uh, that would be frightening, but I just don't think they can make it happen under the cap. Where will the Carlsons end up? Uh, John Carlson signing and Eric Carlson getting traded. Oh, Eric Carlson's going to get traded. And if I had to guess for him, I keep going back to Vegas. They were very close to landing him at the trade deadline. They made a really strong pitch to get him. And from what I've heard, they came pretty close. Um, Carlson wants out of Ottawa badly. I don't blame him. That's a bad situation right now. And, you know, he's a great player in his prime. He doesn't want to be playing on that team any longer. Frankly, I don't blame him. And they've got all kinds of draft picks. They've got all kinds of prospects. Remember, when you go back to that expansion draft last year, teams were throwing draft picks at them just to take certain players in the expansion draft, many of whom turned out to be really good players. So they've got all these picks and all these prospects to offer a team like Ottawa that could really use those things. So that might be the most likely destination for him. And as for John Carlson, you know what? Um, maybe he'll stay. I, a month ago, I didn't think it was possible, but the more you hear about it, 
uh, the more the Capitals are really going to go out of their way to try to keep him. It might hurt them in other areas, but it uh, sounds like he's certainly thinking about staying. Ilya Kovalchuk's coming back from Russia. <laughs> Despite the buzz, I would not have any interest. What kind of what kind of uh, bidding do you think he's going to generate? Uh, you know, he's well into his 30s. I mean, I know he's a tremendously gifted hockey player, but there's no way he's the player he was 10 or 15 years ago. I'm sorry. Um, somebody will sign him. The team I've heard most that's interested is Los Angeles, and that makes sense. The Kings really need some, some goal scoring, some speed, which I assume Kovalchuk can still offer to some extent. But I don't view him as a superstar at this stage. I view him as a guy who can still be productive. Um, he's an incredible talent. Maybe he'll still score 25, 30 goals. I don't know. But he's no longer, I don't think, at his age, a top-tier player that teams are going to go crazy for. Kind of a strange personality, too, Mark. I, I don't know. I, I, I suspect there are some GMs and coaches that would be a little wary of dealing with him as well. I don't think the Penguins are going to sign anybody of any consequence because they can't afford to. But as long as we're window shopping, the best fit would be James Van Riemsdyk, I think. He would make a lot of sense. He can play left wing, too, which is an area they could really use. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. S.G. Hola, good sir. Hola. Hey, Mark, how you doing? My solution is give me my cake and eat me, too. The X at 105.9. Double M joined out by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Uh, Bob, here's that quote from... Uh, Mike Tomlin, to Aditi Kinkabwala, who covers the team for the NFL Network. Uh, Aditi asked him about the team's need to work on tackling more. Tomlin said, those are just cliches that we throw around because we have to do interviews, unquote. And then as Colin Dunlap, um, who does radio in Pittsburgh, as he responded, but Jacksonville roaring through your defense a bunch of times wasn't a cliche, it happened. There is ample evidence they need to work on tackling more. Tomlin just sounds like a jerk when he talks like that, uh, Bob. He sounds incredibly condescending. And frankly, when you hear him talk, because he's a jerk most of the time, it's easy to understand why his players are jerks. Yeah, condescending actually you know, perfectly fits in there, though. Um, why would you do that? You're the head coach. You've got a serious problem with your de run defense right now. It bounced you out of the playoffs last year. It was the main talking point after the game. It remains so now. How about you take it a little bit more seriously, coach? Because it could be another problem right now. Well, you never mind taking the problem seriously. It shows he's not taking the media seriously. Oh, we just do that to screw with you guys. That's what he's saying, Bob. No matter what he might say now or no matter what it might literally say, that's what he's saying. We're screwing with you guys. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Uh, I and mean, I don't believe he is. I think Butler told the truth. I think Butler told the truth also. But, you know, the the thing about some a, a dismissive remark like that, we've seen it in the past. I mean, at, at some point now, you just got to look past it, see how, if they're going to fix it, how they're going to fix it, listen to those details, and not even worrying about that because, look, he's paid quite handsomely to come up with better answers than that to bigger problems like that for well, the Steelers. I'll be blunt. If I were the coach of this team, a team that's underachieved given the talent and resources available for the best part of a decade now, I sure wouldn't act so flippantly, and that goes for a lot of his players. The only players there who shouldn't be embarrassed by the way this team's underachieved, I guess Ben's really the only one left that's won a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, unless there's somebody you know that doesn't play right now or some one well, name. Well, a we're couple missing. of them played in that Super Bowl. Like AB was a right. backup in the Super Bowl, lost to Green Bay. But these guys need to get their head out of their backside, and I think humility could be a valuable weapon for the Steelers to at long last embrace. So he didn't follow up with anything after that. It was just that there was nothing about what they I'm, were. I'm reading do. off a tweet. Oh, that's well. Obviously, you know, you would have seen, I think, if there was a follow-up or anything. But still, just just to say something like that, so condescending when there's absolutely a problem there. And when a lot of people who follow your team quite seriously are looking for a serious answer, you may owe that. Like I said, Bob, it's the least likable Steelers team ever, and that starts with the coach. Uh, I was talking about the Boynton and Carcillo uh, contributions to the Players' Tribune, the Boynton story and the Carcillo video. I agree that preaching the cause of head trauma in the NHL is a good idea. I think the message needs better messengers. And while I agree with you on that, yeah, coming from a career or coming from, you know, Pat LaFontaine or some other more offensive player that was a victim of that would do better. I have no problem with these two guys. Right, right, because the these, these guys, Boynton and, Boynton and Carcillo, they're not victims. They hit and got hit. And you know what, Mark? They're not acting like victims either at some point. Oh, I, mean, I disagree. Well, read it. Uh, I mean, I, I, know, I know you did read it, but he also said, this is, I'm talking about the Nick Boynton one that came out yesterday. He says, look, I was out there to hurt people. You know, unabashedly, I was tapped on the shoulder. I was sent out there sometimes for one reason. That's how I played the game. That's how I was taught to play the game. That's what kept him in the game. I guarantee for- you he was never told point blank to go out there and fight. You don't think that was implied? Implied, definitely, but never told point blank. If he was told point blank, that's where the lawsuit is. Well, absolutely, absolutely. But I think that at some point in the game back then also, that he knew what his job was. He knew that he was supposed to go out there and get this person or get that person or send this message. And I don't have a problem with a player who played like that you know, now coming back and saying, all right, it's got to be better for others after me. And I know he's looking for some help also, and he's reaching out for that help, Mark. Um, he's reaching out for help for his situation right now, his scenario, but also I believe he doesn't want to see future generations of NHLers go through this same scenario. Um, it's a disturbing story, and, and yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, and at one time, I didn't mind hockey fights so much. I thought that they were a part of the game. I like the real play of hockey better now. Well, I Bob, no- it would be simple to just penalize all headshots, intentional or not, and ban fighting. Totally agree. And that would be so easy to implement. Well, no, actually, they'd mangle it. Totally, well, yeah. Cause, I mean, cause the thing how they is, run the league. You have to take in 10 out of it, and they don't want to take in 10 out of it because if you do, then you don't have an excuse to cut slack. And they want that excuse to cut slack, to not suspend. Well, if they don't cut that slack right now, I can tell you that the court is not going to cut them any slack either when this comes to fruition because it's heading that way. It's already happened in the other leagues. For the NHL to deny that this is a problem and to deny the causes that some of these players are going through right now, it's asinine. And it's going to cost them, as you said in the 3 o'clock hour, it's going to cost them when this all rolls around. Finally, Bob, uh... Tiger Woods is plus three after, I think, ten holes at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills. And uh, interesting debate on Fox Sports 1 that I was watching during commercial. They think Tiger can't handle the pressure anymore. They've noticed that he starts badly in most tournaments now and then regroups to some degree, mm-hmm. but never to enough of a degree. And he did start off the round today with a triple bogey. <laughs> 
Is there something to that? See, I don't think there is. I just don't think he's a very good golfer anymore, but that's the last thing they're ever going to say. You don't take into account, and I mean, you don't believe that there's any pressure or that he has any trouble with pressure? I don't think that's why he, he is, is struggling to do better than he has, no. Um, I think... I would think that there would be a little bit of both. Yeah, he's lost his edge. He's not the almighty tiger that he had, you know, that he was 5, 10, 15 years ago. He's lost a lot of the tools in his toolbox, but I think the pressure to try and be that player again absolutely creeps into his game. And, you know, it's funny when I get my expert golf analysis from Norm McDonald on Twitter, but he said the same thing. He starts off tough all of these tournaments, but then he seems to settle in and in some cases, he gets himself back into the... Well, at, the at the risk of, of going against the grain of what I just argued against, uh, it's easy to get yourself together when you can't win. Then you just relax and play. Absolutely. And he still does pretty good where he still has respect and people say, oh, he's coming on strong. Like I can't believe that I've seen how many golf experts say it's inevitable he's going to win another major. I see no evidence whatsoever pointing to that. And, and like, as I told you, the analysis I saw on, uh, I think it was ESPN, they had a, a U.S. Open preview. And a guy said, well, Spieth will be in there. You know, Rory will be in there. And by the way, they both soiled the bed big time today. Oh, big. Uh, you know, Dustin Johnson will be in there. And, of course, Tiger Woods will be around there somewhere. Around where? 23rd? I yeah. mean, again, no evidence. All wishful thinking. Yeah, there's just as much a chance of him double or triple bogey in the next hole coming up as there is him getting a, you know, a birdie or an eagle on one of the farther holes. Uh, it's it's a crapshoot with him right now, just as it is so many other golfers. He's not the elite uh, top 10, maybe not even top 20 right now. He's He's got his problems. Up next, well, usually... People make the list. Next up, a couple numbers make the list. Get your calls into on board. I want to talk to people. 412-333-WXDX.